What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The following podcast is a W2M Network original production. Visit w2mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment. It's gonna be a football game tonight now. No doubt. It's gonna be a football game here. Okay. I, I don't here All right, let's go, baby. This could decide the game. Fourth and goal. Uh-oh. And they're gonna snap it. And it's Trey Burton who throws caught. Foles touchdown. Think about Law trying to make up for it. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Ladies and gentlemen, football to the max. Here are your hosts. Sean Garmer, Gary Vaughn, and Eric Watkins. Hello and welcome to Football to the Max, the post-draft edition. And sorry that we're a little bit later than I had said we would be, but things have happened. I don't think that I mentioned, well, since we did a show, I didn't mention that my dog had been sick and he sadly passed away. Uh, overnight woke up this morning and he was just cold and yeah poor Anaya just didn't know what to do she just surprised that she was able to go to school today so but uh, thankfully we are going to talk about football and the draft sorry to have to start this on a sad note but uh, and good things Gary and uh, his wife and the two kids are they're making it through they're doing better I think uh, I don't know exactly if we're gonna get on a regular schedule after this because you know it kind of goes back into another lull between the draft and when they start going into training camp and that kind of thing so may do once a week may go on a little break again for a little bit i don't know exactly but we'll see we'll see how things work but uh eric is here with me we're here now that's what matters and let's enjoy it before i start getting drunk (laughs) eric is gonna get drunk on the show while he's talking he'll be drinking and it'll be getting crazy so not uh, yet uh, well, I can't do that for this show. I didn't have a chance to buy the booze. Oh, darn it. Gotta have the priorities, Eric. <laughs> it's, it's, it's timing. I had to go pick up a mattress topper and then dealing with whole weird things at work. And Yeah. 
And, well, a guy that had a 16-hour workday and is still is uh, still awesome enough to join us here uh, for the post-draft episode, uh, Mr. Jason Teasley. Hey, everybody. I'm awake and somewhat conscious for this thing. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to take more of a hosting role because of what happened today. I kind of just... I wanted to get this done because uh, Gary is going to come back to the wrestling podcast and we'll finally be able to get doing that again uh, tomorrow. And uh, just, yeah, the last thing on my mind right now is football, but I wanted these two not to have their research and time go to waste. Of course, you could also hear them on the kickoff uh, draft recap episode as well. So uh, make sure you check out those guys along with Brandon and Harry, but Let's go get this started, I guess, in the – let's start with the AFC, Eric. I mean, I guess we'll go give your grades division by division here. Let's start off with your division, the AFC South, where your Jaguars lie. What did you think what? about what your team did and, and overall, just the the teams in that division? Well – and, and I've mentioned this, and I'm still somewhat confused. I mean, going back over it and kind of reviewing the roster and everything, I'm still slightly confused. Maybe Coach Doug Marone is going to do something. I don't know. But I probably would have loved to do a little bit more. Okay. My bad, man. <laughs> That's all right. Go ahead, Eric. Well, I, I, looking at the Jaguars specifically, I looked at the draft and I was confused. I talk about it on other podcast shows, still confused. Looking back at it again, I'm even still confused. Now, maybe Coach Doug Marone is doing something that I don't know of yet, but... I went in saying I would love to have seen more offensive focus on the draft, especially with the base dealings away of, you know, Hearns, Robinson, we have issues at tight end. So I wanted more wide receivers, replacements, targets for Blake Bortles. We accomplished that to an extent with DJ Chark. Great deep threat. LSU second round, so I thought, okay. But when I saw the first round pick of Taven Bryan, I'm like, I don't know so much how that's going to work into our defensive line rotation because we were already stacked. It's like you got the perfect cake, you got the icing, you don't need sprinkles, yet you go ahead and you spend five bucks on a bag of sprinkles. For what reason? Did they settle down a bit? Yes, they did go ahead and draft Ronnie Harrison, safety out of Alabama. Great. That helps take pressure off of the front seven. Helps with the secondary. Leon Jacobs out of Wisconsin late in the draft. Great. That'll help with our issues at linebacker, especially with Paul Slozny's retirement. So overall, they did okay, and they went ahead and Got Bortles a little bit of help with protection with Will Richardson. But 
I still think there are a couple of issues that need to be fixed somehow, and I'm not sure if they're going to be fixed in free agency. They may be, but you're taking a little bit too much of a gamble on that. What about the uh, rest of the teams there? The, the rest of the teams reacted well. I mean, Houston, realizing that they can't entirely have a defense solely relying on J.J. Watt, especially with his recent injury history, what do they do? They get some linebackers. They got Duke Geo 4 Peter Kalambayi. Okay, great. What do they do as far as with Deshaun Watson? They get some help. Jordan Akins out of UCF, Kiki Kuti out of Texas Tech. So they're getting him more weapons to just protect and work with. Great. The Colts, what do they need? Well, they needed to make sure Andrew Luck, when he comes back this season, which is the hope, to not immediately go down again. Because, again, we only have two kidneys and one of his is already messed up. So what do you do? You immediately go out. Quentin Nelson, one of, and God, I, I hate to say this, and I'm going to need a shower afterwards, but this Notre Dame offensive lineman could potentially be one of the best in this draft class, especially at guard. They go ahead and they get another one at Braden Smith. They took care of their needs right away. They're getting a better offense, getting a younger offense to help with Andrew Luck, knowing that he still has a couple of prime years left right away. And for the Titans, to me, they have all got the biggest steal in the draft with Luke Falk. They've seen Blaine Gabbert. That coaching staff has handled Blaine Gabbert. They realize that if anything happens to Mariota, he's not the answer. So you have a guy that doesn't need to start right away, but can be very built into a very competent backup quarterback. The, the division really showed themselves in this draft this year. If I had to give a grade for the entire division, I would say A minus. Sorry, my bad. I had it on mute and I forgot. Uh, you don't have uh, individual team grades for the division there? Well, for the team grade, with Tennessee, I would love to give them an A, but I think I would have to give them an A- minus because they were smart, but I think they could have maybe used an extra pick or two to solidify things. Jaguars, I would have to give B, B plus because they didn't endear themselves too well with that first pick, but they definitely, definitely recovered. With the Colts, knowing the fact that they need to be build themselves and be much more of an offensive team, although they did get a little bit of a sprinkle focusing on defensive line, I would have to give them 
borderline A, barely A minus. And for the Texans, um, another A minus because it's they relied on a lot of lesser names, but lesser names that could really pan out. Well, Jason, uh, let's move over to the NFC South here. What do you think? What I think about the South, I think the South sucks. (laughs) I mean, it's probably it's probably one of the worst. It's let's see, yeah, it's probably my worst graded draft class because I mean the the best the best one out of the entire group is Tampa Bay, and that's. That's saying a lot <laughs> with uh, with the fact that they addressed key needs, but I don't know I don't know if they addressed them with the right players. But I mean they got I, I'm not even gonna try to say his name real name. Uh they got Vita V um and Ronald Jones. Don't Dude, it's been 16 hours. I'm exhausted. We, we, <laughs> That's we, why I'm we, here. We, we're just we're just going to roll with it, okay? Okay, <laughs> moving on. And they actually they actually got my favorite running back in the draft, in Ronald Jones. They picked him up at number 38. Um, they made a couple of nice moves when they traded out of the seven back to 12. So the. <clears throat> Bills could take Josh Allen, and they turned that into a plethora of picks. So, with that, they got my best grade out of the entire out of the entire conference, and I gave them B. Everyone else, yeah, they kind of just pissed the bed and did subpar to mediocre. I mean, the worst being the Saints who made a ridiculous trade. <laughs> oh god, I don't even like talking about the trade they made. But they made the ridiculous trade, moved back and they no, they moved up. Yeah, they moved up to 14. Took Davenport when they could have stayed right where they were at and still got him. They addressed hardly any of their needs. They didn't get a successor to Breeze that with a very deep quarterback class. And, I mean, they draft a wide receiver in the third with a pretty solid wide receiving quarter they already have in place. So, with that being said, they got my lowest grade in the division. I gave them D, a solid D. God, they liked the D. Um, and... <laughs> here, <laughs> Hey, I'm trying to record here. Get in your room. My 10-year-old my ten-year-old came in here to see what the hell I was doing. She just thought I was in here talking to myself. So, what the This is going off the rails like the Super Bowl cast. Quick. But Carolina made one of my favorite picks, um, taking DJ Moore to actually give Cam Newton a solid wide receiver. And Atlanta made one of my most I, – I don't know what Atlanta was thinking. 
making the surprising move because, you know, Atlanta needs another running back. And <laughs> because, yeah, the two they have isn't very, very well. I mean, the only thing Atlanta did good is taking Ridley in the first round to compliment and be the successor to Julio. After that, yeah, it wasn't very much of anything noteworthy. So that's the Secchi South, and let's move on. Well, what about the uh, AFC North? What did you think on that the, end? The... With the North, everybody's focus was on the Browns, of course. And naturally, the Browns, the Cleveland's doing a typical Cleveland thing, tipping their hand beforehand, saying, you know what, even with Saquon Barkley, even with all of these other quarterbacks, we're going to go ahead and take Baker Mayfield number one overall. Fantastic. And what do they do to follow that up? They get Denzel Ward, which... He, out of Ohio State, a great corner. But knowing that you have a more offensive-minded head coach in Hugh Jackson, a quarterback whisperer, you want to build a solid defense around him to help him out. You had Bradley Chubb sitting right there. You pick a move to where you're trying to get fans to travel from Columbus to Cleveland to help fill the seats. That was a bad idea. Yes, they made up for it to an extent by getting Chad Thomas in the early part of the third round. They also went ahead and solidified their running game, creating more of a tandem. Carlos Hyde, Duke Johnson, you're adding now Nick Chubb into that mix. But with how they approached this draft versus what they actually did. This is clearly a B minus draft, which has a potential, if we look at this through the preseason, to go down to a C. Great by Brown standards, but overall they could have done tremendously, tremendously better. Personally, I think the the best team and I'm going to give them I would say since they got a nice sneaky pick the B plus is about right for them the Pittsburgh Steelers they got Terrell Edmonds out of Virginia Tech the other Edmonds brother his brother going to Buffalo they in the later rounds decided well Landry Jones is not going to work for us we don't know so much yet about Josh Dobbs, so we're going to get another Oklahoma quarterback, this time Oklahoma State's Mason Rudolph, which I said and previously has the potential to be a bit of a bust, but I think with someone learning behind Ben Roethlisberger and the fact that he was a third-round pick, that's definitely going to salvage him a little bit. It really does in my eyes. For the Bengals, it's like they had plenty of picks. They know what they had to do. They got my boy Mark Walton, which 
normally I would be very hyped about, but with Cincinnati, I've just got question marks. I don't know it's why. Like they don't I... have enough uh, running backs over there in Cincinnati right now. Exactly. So it's like, how is he going to fit in their system with what? Uh, that rubbed me a little bit the wrong way. And they also pulled a little bit of a getting Logan Woodside out of Toledo. Woo. Yay. Wow. I The Bengals, I mean, I thought that they were turning the corner, but I, I really guess they're not. They get about a B minus. Baltimore, and I'm basing this mainly the fact that Ozzie Newsome was like, hey, I'm getting a tight end, local Jacksonville product, Hayden Hurst. I'm trading up to get Lamar Jackson. You know, I am definitely building this team more and more for a post-Flacco, post-myself era. And I'm going to say slam dunk. I have to give Baltimore an A for their draft. <laughs> yeah, watch out for Jordan Lastly as well, a receiver. I think he might finally be uh, someone they can count on in that spot. He's saved Josh Rosen plenty of times. And uh, he's a guy that could either save Joe Flacco or really help him be a number one target potentially for Lamar Jackson. What about on the NFC North side there, Jason? Uh, the NFC North? It is actually uh, top to bottom, well, three-quarters of the best uh, division in this year's draft class, in my opinion, um, with of course Detroit being Detroit, uh, you know, like Cleveland says, at least we're not Detroit, and Detroit earning my lowest grade in this draft class. Uh, Bob Quinn, the GM there, he continued to ignore his pass rush, and which is really confusing considering there was a lot of good pass rushers in this draft. Uh, then he jumps up in the second round, nabs a subpar running back in Karrion Johnson. And, I mean, there was a lot more running backs that he could have taken. And he could have got Johnson probably in the third and still maybe salvaged this this draft for the Lions a little bit, but you know, there's a first 0-16 team and they might be looking at being seller dwellers in the North again. Um, this actually has two of my best drafts classes in the Vikings and the um, pack. If anybody listened to our podcast the other night on the kickoff, uh, I talked about how the pack was probably one of my best, best overall uh, draft classes because I mean they sure up their defensive backfield with grabbing um, the cornerback Alexander out of Louisville and then get turn around and getting Joshua Jackson out of Iowa. I mean, and then they got the the steal of the draft in my opinion. No, Eric, it's too late. I'm too tired now. I'm not going to say his name, but it's Saint Brown out of Notre Dame. Uh, I think he's going to be 
I, I know that it's a kind of crowded receiving core, but I think he has the ability to stand out and actually become one of Aaron Rodgers' favorite downfield targets. And the Vikings, I gave them um, as B as well because, I mean, coming off their miraculous run last year that that was actually had a miracle in it. Let's see. I got to go through my notes here to get to them. This is what happens when you sit in a meeting and do notes. Um, they sure up. They got. They also grabbed Central Florida cornerback uh, Mike Hughes. Um, I really like that because they actually needed some secondary help. Uh, their front defense was great, but the secondary was sketchy at times. And then they went out and got. Um, what could possibly be Kyle Rudolph's, please God, no, because I love Kyle Rudolph, uh, predecessor in the fifth round. So top to bottom, uh, my two best teams in that, that one is uh, the Vikes. I gave the Vikings Packers both Bs. The Bears, they, they actually intrigued me and surprised me a lot. They didn't pull what I thought they would. They went out and got a stellar defensive player, and Roquan Smith, I mean, you don't hear much about Chicago's linebacking course since, and that's what they was built on for so long. But I think them taking Smith is them getting back to where the Monsters of Midway belong. Uh, I think this is one of their best prospects since they had Erlacher. Uh, they got – Trubisky some help on the offensive line to keep him upright because, you know, if he's not upright, he can't perform. Uh, a sneaky a sneaky pick with Anthony Miller out of Memphis at pick 51. That that receiving core the, could be some. I mean, they're giving Trubisky all the tools to succeed, but now it's on him if he does. So, I gave the Vikings and the Packers B's. The Bears slightly a step down with a B minus, and the Lions are the Cleveland Browns of the NFC, and I, they got a D minus. Interesting uh, on that one. Uh, yeah, a lot of people talking about Equinemius St. Brown there, uh, so I don't think that. Uh, you know, Jason might be right on that. He could be, in fact, steal the draft uh, on that end. And yeah, this, uh, I think Anthony Miller as well. A lot of heat bull. I think a lot of guys wanted, uh, a lot of GMs wanted the guy from Memphis. And I think the Bears got a really great pickup. Finally, might be giving uh, Mitch Trubisky some help on on the receiving end that he had such trouble with uh, last year, basically having a bunch of no names. Uh, so, moving things along, uh, the AFC West here, uh, Eric, and, you know, uh, one of our dear friends, Robert Taylor, of course, he was on the actual uh, draft, sort of a recap of the first three rounds episode. Is he going to have something to be happy about with his Chiefs, or 
I mean, he's the kind of guy, one of his classic sayings is, it's Mahomes time. Great. You're getting your wish. They did a little bit to help as far as regarding him, so that way he can be in the pocket and be mobile as well, and Khalil McKenzie. But their main focus really should have been not so much offense because they can get guys knowing that Mahomes has got an arm. Mahomes can get better decision-making. They should have gone more towards defense, and that's exactly what they did. Again, almost all throughout. You want front seven guys? Derek Nottie, Freeland Speaks, Dorian O'Daniel. Safety help with all of their issues that were going on there, Armani Watts. A little bit of a potential, kind of a sneaky pick from a lower division school and Tremont Smith out of Central Arkansas. So, while it's not splashy, this is a very Chief-like draft. So, I would have to give this... I'm going to be nice to Robert, say A-. minus. I can't go that harsh. Fair enough. What about the rest of the AFC West there? Overall big winner in the team that really carried the division, the Broncos. I mean, hey, you know you have your quarterback. At least you believe you do in Case Keenum. So what do you do to capitalize on someone else's blunder? You get Bradley Chubb. What do you do to give Keenum a target? Cortland Sutton out of SMU. How do you fix your backfield? Royce Freeman out of Oregon. And from there, you solidify and you rotate in, guys, knowing that your defense is a little bit older. Isaac Yadam, Josie Jewell. So, A, forget it. This, to me, for the Broncos, especially with John Elway, this was an A-plus draft. On the flip side, your California teams, Oakland, already in enough of an issue with Gruden's mentality and how he's going to approach the season. A lot of doubters and a lot of people questioning whether or not it's going to work. So you figure, what a way to come back into the draft, make some solid picks and Give him a foundation. Your first thing is you reach up and you get Colton Miller 15th overall. Why? Flat out why? You didn't do yourself too many favors beyond that the rest of the draft. Okay, P.J. Hall is a defensive tackle. Yes, you do a little bit of help along the line getting offensive tackle. Out of North Carolina A&T, Brandon Parker, but you pick a punter, even though you're getting rid of a good punter in Marquette King, you pick a fantastic college punter in Johnny Townsend, but with this draft and so many things you did wrong, Oakland, they're to me getting a D. Yeah, yeah. I don't see where they got a whole lot right, and they had plenty of chances. 
Now, trade-wise, in getting receivers like um, Martavis Bryant, okay, that redeems you a little bit, but what are you doing as far as building upon that? And for the Chargers, outside of Derwin James, again, getting help in that secondary all I see are a bunch of question marks. Justin Jackson out of Northwestern. I said it before and I'm saying it now. There's still not a legitimate football school. City of Chicago, come at me. Okay? Doesn't mean they can't produce good players. True, but again, it, it's like... I mean, it's okay, and then you get a... Scott Questenberry, the center out of UCLA, which, okay, maybe? Knowing what little bit you got and what little bit you got to try to help what you already had, you put yourselves in a C draft class. I'm sorry, did you... Royally created dumpster fire? No. Do you have a lot of like superstar picks and like a football version of a golden generation? No. You're just kind of, yeah, we're here. Oh, look, we have another soccer stadium. Whoopity do. <laughs> we can't play in that one, so it's, uh, we're still here. <laughs> so, uh, Jason, what did you think about the NFC West? I think they suck. They all suck. <laughs> no, <Nah>, actually, <laughs> actually, uh, <laughs> hey, I'm waking up a little bit. My personality's coming back. I'm not falling off the couch or anything. Um, actually, they got uh, the the highest grade came out of the NFC West, uh, and that was the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, they, I mean, Roku. Smith would have been the ideal pick at number nine. Uh, Chicago said, no, we ain't letting that happen. So they wanted to, they went the right route. I mean, it was against me, but looking into it a little bit further, I kind of understand the pick now, post-draft, getting to, getting some tape and read on the guy. Oh, excuse me. Mike McGlitchy. McGlitchy? Whatever, I can't read my own writing. Um, <laughs> offensive tackle for the coming out of Notre Dame. He was, he's going to be able to keep their nice, fat, contracted, sexy Jimmy G upright. And, I mean, that's what, that's the unsung heroes of the NFL or your offensive linemen. Uh, it's hard to find a legit all pro offensive lineman, but when you do, you got to pounce on them. Also, I mean, Kyle Shanahan must be my spirit animal because he loves uh, Pettis as much as I do. I mean, Pettis was, is going to be that flanker type receiver and he's going to be a dual threat on punt returns as well. As long as the NFL don't screw with those rulings as well. But they're the only team in the NFC I actually gave an A to, B 
because they hit just about every need they had with the not the highest caliber player but the cl- caliber player that's going to fit in their their scheme so with that being said NFC, NFC highest grade goes to the Niners next my next is um, is mediocre draft you have the Rams and cards both getting B's um, though it was ha- kind of hard to give the cards a B because I mean they did get their guy and Rosen who's going to be a starter you know game one because you know they got they've got a glass quarterback that's probably going to get injured uh, getting out of the shower or something. So, <laughs> and then they turn around. This, it was really hard for me to give. It's like a B plus is what I gave Arizona because they also turn around and get the wide receiver that's after my heart, Christian Kirk, out of a and I, I was really high on him. I spoke highly on him on previous shows that I've done on the kickoff. And I did on the post-draft coverage and some other draft show that I was on that's just kind of ran together now. So, <clears throat> Arizona is, they're, they're going and getting players to build around. I mean, you got Rosen, you got Kirk. That's going to fill your quarterback need for the future. A wide receiver hold that's going to be left probably after this year because Larry Fitzgerald can't play forever. Though, I'm sure that the chemical makeup and genetics that he has, he looks like he's only about 30 when he's like 65 out there running routes. So, but then you have Seattle. Oh, Seattle. I mean, <laughs> what what good things can you say about Seattle? They had so many needs that they didn't address. And when they did address the need, it was a shitty address because they go out and get Rashad Penny at the 27th pick when you had Geis on the board. You had, I think, Rojo was still on the board at the end. Penny, he's a great runner, but I think it was a a far reach for Seattle to go up that high. But they did get um, our boy out of Central Florida, Griffin, real good, heartwarming story. The only thing that saved Seattle from getting an F was their drafting of Griffin and just his story alone becoming an NFL player. So with the Rams a B, the Cards a B, the Seahawks a dismal D minus, and the Niners an A, it's pretty much a going to be a shootout in the west because this division is going to be won by either the rams or the 49ers in the next foreseeable future so it's going to be the other two teams just playing catch up well what about the afc east here eric oh there's one team that i couldn't stand that drafted well and there's a bunch of teams that really overall did. This was so close. 
so incredibly painfully close to every team really getting no worse than an A minus B plus right around that cut line. The one team that kind of screwed things up a little bit were the Dolphins. Mike Gesicki, Derm Smythe, great tight ends. Minka Fitzpatrick along that line or in that secondary. Again, great choice. They address just about all of their needs except quarterback. We don't know if Tannehill's going to be the answer. He's become a paper tiger. We've seen Osweiler. We know he's not the answer. Yet, all of these like top-notch guys or even ones that you could have gotten in the middle of day two, yet they didn't go after anyone. That concerns me a little bit. The teams that did go after a quarterback, Buffalo, trading up to get Josh Allen. Following that with Tremaine Edwards. Then Harrison Phillips. It's like, okay, we got our guy that we know we need. We can tutor. We can mold into a project or into someone who can be very tremendous. Now, let's get him some weapons with Ray Ray McLeod. Wyatt Teller to help keep him there. Fantastic. Then they went ahead and did defense A. The Jets, Sam Darnold mentioned, hey, it's not Cleveland, so he'll play for us. They pick him at three. They is another sneaky one. Another one of my boys, Christopher Herndon. They got him uh, early in the fourth round. So you're thinking, okay, all right. They're working a little bit of magic of their own. I would have to give them an A because... It was the whole point. They didn't screw it up the first couple of days. They wound up not screwing up the draft whatsoever. New England. You know, the Patriots just need to stop. I mean, seriously. Oh, they know that they have Tom Brady, and they know they need to do something to make sure he plays those five years. Well, let's get Isaiah Wynn. Oh, we need someone else in the backfield that can be for multiple positions and our crazy digging into page 738 of the rule book, Sony Michelle. It's like, could they just stop? And then they have to gut punch me by getting Braxton Berrios. Really? Oh, and then they lose Jimmy G? Hey, Danny Edling, LSU, you come be the next next guy to where you can just sit there as long as you make the squad you're going to get a ring it's oh Christ I can't stand that team (laughs) just yes yes they get an A but damn it could you not have tried so hard I'm surprised they didn't take Luke Falk at the QB, but you know when they thought about it, but then knowing Bill Belichick, the hoodie himself, probably dug in and found some sort of obscure tape that 
nobody had, and he had one split second off of some mechanics or cocked his wrist into a too much of a 53-degree angle on his throwing motion and just said, nope, nope, no. <laughs> Actually, the report came out that um, his mother, sister's roommate's cousin's third-grade teacher gave Bill Belichick a C. <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Jets did pretty well as, as well, I thought. Sam oh, Darnold yeah. getting your guy. Got Chris Herndon, your boy, mm-hmm. in round four. Oh, yeah, that's why I say I had to give them an A because they got the, you said it perfectly, they got their man and they didn't screw up from there. They had chances, but they're like, no. They played it safe and got themselves some solid weapons. Well, comes down to one division left, the NFC East. Jason? Well, well we got three crappy teams and one glorious team. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, but, it also contains but, the Super I'm, Bowl I'm, champion I'm, Philadelphia Eagles in here as well, by the way. <laughs> so. But... Hold on, hold on! You 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 cut me off. You're you're you're, you're stepping on my toes here. <laughs> this is probably the most balanced division I had in the draft. I mean, it was really hard, and it was a hard pill to swallow to actually give some of these grades. Um, I mean, this this one of these grades derailed a podcast one night. Um because we thought that our fearless leader abandoned us because of his subpart team that hasn't won a Super Bowl since DVDs have been created. Oh, but no. Actually, 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 I'm going to say that this, honestly, was one of the most balanced divisions. I mean, everybody, nobody was great. I, even even my Giants, I, I did not give them a great. I gave them a B plus because they kind of got shaky toward the end, but they addressed some needs. Gettleman's trying to work his magic, but the Eagles, uh, I gave the Eagles a B simply because they trolled the Cowboys hard by jumping up and taking a tight end right after uh, Witten announced his retirement. Uh, but actually, I have to actually give the Cowboys credit. Um, they went they went a route that nobody expected. Uh, everybody expected with all the premier wide receivers on the board, them letting Dez go, that that's what would happen. They would take a wide receiver. Well, they didn't. Uh, Jerry Jones has embodied the lifeless body of um, Al Davis, and Al Davis is actually – Fused his soul with Jerry Jones and making some of the worst decisions ever. But uh, Dallas kind of got back on track later in the draft and addressed some needs they needed. And I guess they're going to try to lure Dez back from what I'm reading here lately for league minimum. I don't know, but for them to say they want to win a Super Bowl and they want this to be uh, Dax's team and Dax friendly they didn't do nothing to address it but they did address other needs they have 
but we will go with my highest rating. I mean, this is no surprise is the Giants. I gave a B plus simply because they went out, got the best player available at two. Once the Browns kind of screwed up everybody's draft draft model and where everybody's mock draft thought the Giants would go quarterback because Barkley would go number one. Well, Barkley falls a two. Gettleman doesn't pass on him. And then we turn around and get Hernandez and two, which is, I mean, a mountain of a man to help our abysmal offensive line and help open up holes. Then we get the, um, the We Hate Jason Teasley, the most pick in the fourth round. When he speaks, when Ginger Damas speaks, it comes to pass. Uh, Ginger Damas talks about Richmond Spiders. <laughs> the Giants take the quarterback out of Richmond. Uh, I haven't seen a lot on this kid. I'm still combing through some tapes when I get time. I want to see because everybody's saying that he is a lot better than Dave, uh, than Webb, which isn't saying much in my opinion because he can't even beat Geno Smith out for a start. So, and then you got Washington, who I actually, I had to give a C, but based on one of their picks, and that was them actually getting to land a premier running back that fell like a rock and landed in their lap when they took uh, Darius Geis. Um, I think he's going to fit in that offense well, uh, but matched up to everybody else, I gave them C. So I had to give the Cowboys a C for not addressing their premier need at wide receiver, but they did address needs they had later on. Uh, Redskins a C. Philadelphia, they got a B, which – Kind of was was a B minus, but I bumped them up to a B just because they trailed the Cowboys and had the second favorite draft selection in Dallas. Uh, and then, of course, my New York Football Giants got my highest grade of the uh, the division with a B plus. Well, there you have it. Uh, I honestly, I. Uh... I was upset about the Cowboys not taking one of the two premier receivers with that first pick. But again, I get it with Leighton Vander Esch. He's a freak guy that they have. They lost Hitchens, which was their, if, you know, Sean Lee's their heart and soul, then Hitchens was the guy that, you know, basically helped Sean Lee uh, at all times when, especially when he wasn't out. That was the one guy they could count on. He's gone. Uh, Sean Lee, again, He's he is great, but when he's not on the field, which happens a lot, they suffer greatly, and he's probably the closest you're going to get to being able to have that covered with uh, Vanderess. And, uh, you know, sadly, hopefully Jalen Smith keeps getting better, but I just I don't know that we're going to see anything better from him. I think Connor Williams helps them in that lineman spot to solidify the line so that you can keep uh, Lyle Collins at right tackle and Connor Williams just steps in that guard ball, even though they could just switch both of them at any, any point. Look, I, I like Michael Gallup, and I think Michael Gallup getting taken lets them trade Switzer. I don't know why... 
I don't know really know much about the Raiders defensive lineman that they got in exchange, but whatever works for them. Gallup also looks like Dez a bit as well. So get somebody that's fresh that doesn't have the you know, drama that Dez brings and and all that. A guy that's used to the way that you know, Romo was and Dak doesn't play that same way and, and you know, for some reason or another whether it's the way that they set up the offense, whether it's Dak and Dez, whether whatever it is, they just they don't seem to have the chemistry that he and Romo had. Uh, I do agree with you, though. I've just never been a Terrence Williams fan. He's a big body catcher that half the time drops the ball. I don't know that Cedric Wilson covers that need or whatever, but I really like Bill Scarborough there in the seventh round. Uh, and not that Zeke, you know, not that you need a guy to you know, take goal line carries or whatever. Zeke will take the ball all four times if he wants to. Uh, but and not I think score. He scores a bunch of touchdowns. Uh, I I think uh, Bo at least provides, you know, a bigger body for if you uh, did want to change them up a little bit. I, I don't know. Uh, the quarterback thing surprised me too. I thought they might uh, – that might not be the best uh, – quarterback to take there but again they're they're fine with Dak so they're not looking to try to take a sort of you know guy that's going to compete with him I guess at that point so yeah I thought the Cowboys did okay I'd say a B but uh, they they definitely could have uh, nailed it taking a different other picks I like what the Giants did a lot the Giants were <coughs> tremendous the Saquon Barkley pick yeah, Do you ahead. realize we have that? We're going to have you praising the Giants on a podcast, and I will remind you of it ever. So, Biscuby, when you listen to this, we, we have documentation of Giants praise. Yeah, I will certainly get the Giants praise because they did the smart thing. They went with Saquon Barkley. They didn't get caught up in the whole quarterback thing. Uh, they took the best player available to them. Uh I I don't think that I don't think there was a lot of people that thought the Browns were going to take Barkley at all. I think it was pretty much a done deal. They were going to take one of the quarterbacks. So the Giants had the premier opportunity for Barkley to be fall to them. Will Hernandez is going to be a fantastic addition to that line. Uh, that's been getting better. I think people were still in that thought process of the Giants line was. Still one of the worst. They got better as the season went on. It's just Eli was not uh, playing he had, the best. He had no targets to throw to. Yeah. I mean, Once Beckham went down, it was – that was well, – uh, Be- Beckham went down. Uh, Marshall, Marshall went down. He, he had – somebody had to order him one of those rascal motorized wheelchairs to get up and down the field. Uh I mean, he had Ingram Evan Ingram and, like, nobody. I mean, Shepard has had his bright moments, but they would key on – I mean, Shepard's not a big-bodied receiver. He's he's a sl- kind of a slot guy that's going to get you underneath, possession receiver. I mean, Ingram emerged as one of the top young tight ends in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he gained – out of default, he gained a lot of trust from Eli because that's the only guy Eli could throw the ball to that people could remember the name outside of Shepard. 
So, I mean, he got a lot of recognition. So, I think um, – I just wish Dallas – I mean, I, I, me and you are better rivals here, and we're praising each other's team, and this is weird. No, I, I'm, I must be asleep. And this is a, really a nightmare. But <laughs> I, I, really wish, I really wish Dallas would have got one of the top three receivers or even slid down, traded back or something, got – got some back-end picks, and landed uh, Kirk. I would love to see. I think Ridley would have been a perfect fit in that Dallas offense. And yeah, replaced, that's what I wanted them to take. And, and, I mean, I don't think that I, – I I think DJ Moore was the is the better receiver, and I think he fits Carolina's scheme a lot better than he would in Dallas. I think Ridley was a prototypical Dallas receiver – Big body, sure hands, quick cuts, and I think he would have had a very good repertoire with Dak, and he could have been he could have been a breakout star. But I mean, he went to Atlanta, so now he's going to be the heir apparent to Julio Jones. Yeah, and both. Matt Ryan just signed a huge contract. Yeah, so. Exactly, hundred million dollars guaranteed for Matt Ryan. Uh, woof, big money, big money uh, there for the man. So. One that thinks that that doesn't make sense. Well, yeah. I mean, but there's always that Super Bowl hangover, though. Let's see what happens with. Yeah, because, I mean, don't get me wrong. The super fat contract, okay. But that much money guaranteed, that's what I'm not. Feeling. Not like the Falcons have another choice at this point. <laughs> I mean, the argument is there, but it's like a hundred million guaranteed. A hundred. Hey, these the. Quarterback concerts are getting ridiculous. We knew this. It's, it's it was bound to happen, and it's going to keep happening. It's a... I think they should have guaranteed twenty twenty eight million over three years. <laughs> See, that wouldn't have been a problem. <laughs> I don't know that Matt Ryan would have taken that on principle, but. Uh... I did like what the residents well, well, did too. Well, yeah. well, what would have happened is the first, the first two years would have been front loaded, and then the deal falls apart in the third year. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, they, he would have lost it all, gambling or something. Uh, but I, I really like what the Redskins did too. I thought they had a really good draft. Deron Payne, then doubling up on Alabama, uh, you know, defensive guys uh, later in the draft too. I think Trey Quinn's going to be a a dude to watch out for that they got in the seventh round. I think everybody talks about uh, Quinton, but Trey Quinn had a good year for himself uh, at SMU as well. And Darius, guys, pair him with Chris Thompson now. Uh, Rob Kelly coming back. That's a formidable backfield there for the Redskins. So watch out uh, on that end. Uh, if the Giants can get Barkley going and finally get that rushing attack again. And, you know, Darren Sproles re-signed with the Eagles, and we know what they got going over there. Talk about 
this could be the the division where the running backs reign supreme. Uh, when we're, I'm, go I'm gonna go ahead and make a prediction now. There's a reason Philadelphia didn't land a premier running back in this draft. And if anybody had listened to our Super Bowl show on the kickoff, knows exactly what I'm about to say. J.J. will take a backseat to my homeboy, Corey. Corey Clement will emerge as the RB1 in Philadelphia by midseason. Ginger Thomas has spoken. It shall happen. <laughs> I do. I did hate the Eagles for taking the uh, Dallas uh, Goert tight end pick right before the Cowboys were going to pick uh, at 50 because uh, I, I felt like they might have actually gone and taken him, uh, especially after getting the news that day that Jason Witten was going to retire. So, but uh, outside of that, you know, thought the Eagles did okay. Jerry, this is what happens when you make a big deal and you host the draft. Everybody's going to troll you. I don't blame. That dude gave, he he gave Dallas so many years of service. I mean, like, I can't get mad at him for wanting to. I'm, I'm I'm glad we're bringing this up. Me and Eric, we talked about it last night. You wasn't present. Do you think Witten's decision where it was coming in the middle of the draft was in direct correlation to Jerry Jones drafting zero help at wide receiver in the first round? I don't know. I don't think that has anything to do with it because it's not like Witten was just like bombing down the field getting – 30-yard receptions. He was the guy that gets like five yards here, five yards here. You know, maybe gets you a first down, but, gets you a touchdown, you know. But he seen that well, what we talked about last night, and if anybody wants to go back to the archive, look up the kickoff from last night or whenever you listen to this, the latest kickoff show with me and Eric and Harry and Brandon. We talked about briefly – we talked about the fact that Witten has a very small window to win a championship. Mm-hmm. They told him that, you know, they kept him around. He wanted to retire. He wanted to leave when Romo left. Right. They convinced yeah. him They convinced him to stay, promised him that they was going to work to win a championship, blew smoke up his butt, and then when they cut Dez... I think when they cut Des and didn't address that, Witten seen the writing on the wall, said, I still got my health. I can still make money somewhere without being a concussed, punch-drunk football player. I don't see them, me having a future here. They're not want, willing to win now and do everything they told me, so I'm out. It was just a shocking surprise that he'd done it right in the middle of the draft. Oh, yeah, definitely. Right in the, right, in the, right after the first round. Yeah, because he, he's standing up there with the, your other Cowboy legends like Staubach, Aikman. He's probably standing there where he's like, wait, what? Vander who? He is a what? 
Yeah, Jerry, I got to go. I don't know if it's necessarily so much about that. I think it's also just he might have sat there and thought, listen, my buddy Tony, look at what he's doing over there at CBS. I get this Mm -hmm. offer. And like you said, he's. I I don't think that he's going to replicate. I mean, as bad as I hate Tony Romo, he is a breath of fresh air in the booth. He gives you. He's a great caller guy. He gives you insights that, from a quarterback perspective, and don't get me wrong, like I said, I hate Romo. He's, he was a division rival. But he he had a, a mind for the game. His body failed him, but his mind never did, and he's bringing that to the booth. I don't think Witten will be able to have that much success. We'll see. He's a well-spoken guy. Uh, mm-hmm. Depends on what role you're putting him in. I don't think you can – but see, that's the thing. I think Witten knows he can't go out there and be Tony Romo. Romo is a special breed of, of guy. And then you've got guy, you've got color guys now trying to do what Tony does, and it doesn't work. Uh, I think Jason knows <coughs> what he's good at, and I think he's going to – He's going to be fine. I don't think he's going to be like we're talking about him all the time, like Romo, but I think he'll be fine. I just. But you're look, throwing him in a flagship NFL show on Monday Night Football where the entire world will be watching him and critiquing him. Hey, they Romo, put a freaking comedian up there on Monday Night Football. It's not like. And we see how that worked out. Yeah. I mean. I, I, I wouldn't call it flagship given the fact that the NFL doesn't throw them much of a bone. I mean, this isn't like the ABC Dennis Miller days. But uh, I'm just saying, he's going to be heavily screwed. Romo went to CBS. Um, you're you're going to, he's going to get a, a, a solid game here and there, but it's not, it, people's going to have the, not, and not everybody's going to be watching him to critique him starting out. And then once they seen how good he was, he started getting the more premier games to call because they actually seen, I mean, they actually seen how good of a commentator he was. Well, well, he was with Nance from the word go, so I don't know. Yeah, and this is my whole point. A, he did have a shaky start. B, he was replacing Phil Sims to go alongside with Jim Nance. That's your A team at yeah. CBS. So yeah, he was always going to get the games, and he initially was scrutinized heavily. No, but he was still scrutinized, and then finally, after a few games, he started opening up, and then the rest is history. Yeah, I think with what you guys, what you were talking about, Eric, it's Sunday Night Football has obviously become the flagship for the NFL. Mm-hmm. The ratings show it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the highest rated program in all of TV for I don't know how many years now. Monday Night oh, Football yeah. has certainly been dropping, and obviously the games uh, show that the the quality of the games. ESPN is not on uh, the NFL's like we love you list, and uh, it's not. We know. I mean, it's pretty apparent that that's what it's been for a long time now. And, yeah. You know. Ever since it moved to ESPN, 
it's been the slow decline of Monday Night Football. And yeah. if the NFL is really wanting to make Thursday Night Football a thing, then we could be sitting here within three to five years saying Monday Night Football's over and done. I don't know. It's such a state. I think they're still, I mean, it's, it depends, right? I mean, this new generation of uh, sometimes sports, we don't even watch live now Mm -hmm. of there. I think they're going to determine, um, our kids are going to determine that whether that goes away or whether Thursday night football continues to be a thing or not. Uh, they're trying to make it a thing right now. They could sign another deal. So I, you know, I don't. It doesn't bother me. I'd rather the Thursday night go away than Monday night because you know Monday night's still a staple to me. You grew up oh, with Monday night football. Oh yeah, know. that that's me. I'd rather see Thursday go by the wayside before I would Monday night football. Because Thursday's so just annoying. Like it's annoying for everything. It's annoying for fantasy. It's annoying for watching. I mean, now granted, last year there was a lot of good, really good Thursday night football games. But it's like it's really bad for the players. Uh, the coaches hate it. You know, I I don't know if the I mean, ratings uh, hold up for it that much. That, I mean, that's as I mean I, I feel the the way Thursday night football. I mean, I that I do about the the whole overseas games. I don't think they're needed, but I understand why they are. Uh, Thursday night is typically an off night. You can get the ratings. People's going to watch football, but it's annoying because people are rushing home from work, trying mm-hmm. to get everything done before kickoff, and then you got to get up and go to work yeah. the next morning. But, I mean, people say, well, you can say the same thing about Sunday and Monday night football. Yeah, but you have a built-in – Sunday is your football day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and then Monday night football, it was – it's a staple all the way back to, I mean, it, I, I grew up watching the Giants on Monday Night Football. Right. But, you know, so it, it was where you wanted your premiere games. Thursday is just kind of like a ratings grab because yeah. there's nothing yeah. nothing else on Thursday. It's if we throw a football game on, they're going to watch. I think Thursday night needs to go back to being a college football night. I love Thursday night college football. Yeah. You don't see it now. Or like every once in a while, like you can have maybe six games or, you know, five games and then Thanksgiving Thursday, not 10 or 11, 12, whatever. Like the entire season, because let's face it. These networks are doing NFL games on Thursday night because they're too lazy to put up with shows that they would normally run on network TV because Hollywood is running slim on TV ideas. They just are. So the NFL is just swooping in and taking advantage where even then Jason said it perfectly Thursday night, rushing home from work, getting up Friday. And Oh, by the way, yeah, people say the same thing about Sunday and Monday, but look at a lot of your smaller towns. They're more interested in their Friday night high school games. Right. So they exactly. Thursday as a build up to that. So you're not capturing that audience. Well, it's also just basically smothering the everything in NFL. It's and I think it just turns people off. 
Yeah, it's oversaturation. Like it's just it's too much. Like I mean, granted, like I you're said, still the highest rated thing on TV, but it, that gets to a certain point. Yeah, and even I then, mean, TV is changing. People aren't watching TV the same way as they did five, ten, twenty years ago. I, I know I'm going to date myself when I say this, but I mean, I don't know if you guys. It was. It was. I don't know if it was you guys was big on it, but Thursday night college football was like a highlight of my week when I was coming through high school and college, uh, my early years of college, because you got to see teams you normally didn't get on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've seen a lot of whack games. You've seen a lot of Pac-10. Well, what well, was Pac-10, now it's Pac-450 teams. Um, <laughs> you've seen a lot of... You've seen a lot of teams you normally wouldn't get the opportunity to see on on a regular Saturday. Oh, they yeah. got to showcase those teams. You got to see players that, you know, great players that were in there. You'd have a – then they would throw you a bone and you'd get like an Auburn with Bo Jackson. You'd get, you know, a Boston College game with Flutie. You'd get games like those – you know, to appease people that when they started getting the hype, you'd see, you'd get a, a, a Miami game when Miami was huge, when I was a huge Miami fan, when you had Jesse Armstead uh, leading their linebacking core. Oh, um, <laughs> you you get to see those games, and they they would never put a, a junk game on. You always see, there was never a blowout in Thursday Night College Football. To my recognition, they would always give you nice matchups. They wouldn't give you like, they wouldn't throw a crap team. You wouldn't see the equivalent of the Bengals Browns on Thursday night. No, and they continued that tradition for quite some time. I was growing up high school, college when I was really, really into. Well, first was getting into college football. They didn't always go like a lot of West Coast teams, like Pac-10 with TDS. Uh, featured their games yeah they focused on Pac-10 and Big 12 but for those Thursday night games you got some of what you would have like your mid-majors you had WAC, Mountain West yeah. MAC teams so Conference like, USA right so it's like okay uh, so when you, you got you'd, the, get, you, you'd get the occasional Big East game of the week yeah so when you got to see a lot of these like big name players come draft time, it's like, oh well, I saw him, and oh well, I saw this guy, and da da da, a good pick, and you get that little extra oomph without taking away from the rest of your week. And I think uh, this is going to be another thing. I think the internet has ruined a lot of the college football experience, a lot of the NFL experience. Now, granted, I love college football. And if you'd like to listen to me and Brandon Biscopy, we'll be doing a college football show soon. Okay. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, in the way of it takes away from, you know, the anticipation to see a, a big game like an Alabama-Auburn. It, it's the hype isn't there or, you know, the SEC championship or – games that would naturally be a rivalry you've got you could see every bit of these players you could oversaturate these players you're exposing these 
kids the a lot more than what they're mentally ready for. So when you had the Thursday night college football, you actually got to sit down. It was usually kickoff was about seven seven thirty. It wasn't too late. Mm-mm. You'd get a good game. You'd catch Sports Center the first half of Sports Center afterwards to catch all the highlights of the day, what you missed while you was watching Thursday night college football. And then it kind of, it was kind of a, a prerequisite to your weekend. You had the kickoff Thursday night with college. You had your, you know, most small town USA school places got their college football feel on Friday night, a full day of football Saturday, a full day of football Sunday. And then you had usually back in the day, you had a nice premier Monday night football game. Oh yes. <laughs> and then you had that three day break just to absorb and to sit around the quote unquote water, water cooler and talk about, uh, I seen, I seen this kid from Toledo. That was nice. I seen a kid from Marshall that, you know, Pennington, who was who played lights out, kid showed a lot of heart. And then it would drum up. Oh, really? So you would actually have to, I know, kids, if you're listening to this, you actually had to go read a newspaper to get information. And then you would search. Or read for, a magazine. Yeah, mm-hmm. Sports Illustrated. Sports Illustrated was a huge influence on my my love for college football and the Miami Hurricanes back in the 90s. So, I mean, I think it's just the NFL is oversaturating itself and you're seeing a lot of backlash because you have the people's using sports as a platform and it's now that the consumer is, we don't want stuff mixed with my my sports because me watching football is how I turn turn my my life off for the week. I, I can veg out and just just enjoy sports. Things are cross crossing into that, and the consumer is like, I'm tired of it. So they're choosing to change the channel. And viewership this year alone showed that the NFL is on a decline viewership wise. Why? Because they're letting stuff happen that doesn't need to be happening in sports. The consumer's not buying it, and it's a lot of oversaturation. I'll get off my soapbox. Yeah. No, it's it's true. I mean, thankfully they stopped the whole thing with American, the National Anthem crap uh, mid-season because that was just getting that was getting way out of hand and it was becoming way bigger than the game, and every week it was like who's standing who's not it's like come on can we just focus on the game here mm-hmm. and so you know listen uh with whether they get any competition from the xfl or you know anything um that's you know still left to be decided because that could be another one-year wonder again and it just goes up in smoke and the nfl just continues to be the king of of football here and it will likely continue to be that way. But you know, all I, all I think about as well is, uh, you made modifications to the catch rule. I hope to God they do. It does something. 
So we don't have all the stupidity that happened last year. Uh, and I think that's the biggest thing for me is let's not let's make this simpler so that the referees aren't what we are talking about when the games are over. Let's talk about the players, the awesome plays, the the coaches, whatever. Not, oh, we couldn't figure out what a catch is for the 200 millionth time. That's that's what I look forward to the most this year, and that's really what the draft is about. Honestly, it's like a kickstart to, all right, it's football season again, and we'll have uh, plenty of time to see how these uh, picks pan out. Obviously, a lot of these players, it's not just year one. There's going to be year two, year threes with these guys. And uh, it's really kind of unfair to be doing these grading things because, honestly, you don't know. Sometimes these uh, seventh-round guys wind up being better than some of these first-round guys, you know. Uh, so it it's all a big wash at the end of the day. They have to go out there and prove it themselves. And it'll be interesting when training camp starts, when, uh, you know, fantasy season starts, all that. It's going to be fun. Now it's just going to be that waiting period, you know, uh, a lot of, I know a lot of people make a big deal about the schedule release, but honestly, it's really just a bunch of hype. It's not a big deal. We knew who they were going to play anyway. It's all about the order. So, well, I want to thank these guys, uh, Eric and Jason for carrying the load here on this, uh, draft recap uh, episode. Um, again, I can't promise that I know whether we're going to be, weekly from here on out or definitely not going to be bi-weekly yet that's that's going to be like around training camp or so when we would go back to being uh two shows a week but yeah for sure we'll try to at least keep up with things and be here once a week from now on but we'll see how it goes you know eric and i have the soccer show uh, which you can go check out if you subscribe to the whole w10 network you can get everything we do uh, Eric and I, of course, do soccer to the max of Rachel uh, McCrigger, and she's been kind of under the weather. She's also been graduating, going through a lot of stuff. So uh, props to her um, and being a stalwart over there on Last Word on Soccer as well. So i got to give her props there too. Of course, Jason and Eric are, uh, along with Harry and Brandon, also on the kickoff, our other football show that we have on the network. Uh, so make sure you go uh, check them out. They also did a draft recap, as Jason's mentioned uh, plenty of times here. Of course, you got our friend Robert Taylor on MMA to the max. Rusty to the max will be back tomorrow with the backlash preview and other stuff. And of course, uh, video games to the max have been going on strong with Mark and I and everything else we do here. Uh, visit w2net.com. And until the next time we're around, see you later. Peace. <laughs>